And now uh, it is time to dive back into our study. We are continuing our study in the book of Hebrews this morning. And last week, Jeff introduced us to this book. And really, he introduced us and reminded us what all of Scripture is. All of Scripture is a love letter from God, right? If you were here last week, you heard him remind us how God loves us. He provides, protects, guides, and corrects us. Say that with me. He provides, protects, guides, and corrects. And so Jeff, as he introduced us to the letter of Hebrews, he let us know that that Hebrews is primarily a book of correction. How God is loving us through this book is through correction, which which isn't any fun, is it? That's not the the way we always want to be loved. And yet, if you're anything like me, I, I can show up some mornings and I think, well, I mean, I'm not really in a place I need correction this morning, right? <laughs> I mean, there's other people who do, but I don't really feel like I need correction this morning. I don't know about you, but I, I, my, my kids, the times they don't think they need correction are sometimes when they need correction, right? <laughs> and it's true for me, too. When I show up and I think, well, I don't need correction, maybe in that very moment, maybe correction is really what I need. And maybe it's not a complete 180 from where I am. Maybe it's just a little course change in order to trust God more deeply and follow him more fully. So that's the kind of correction we're going to be looking at this morning from Hebrews. And as we dive into chapter 3 and 4, you know, this is, these are tough chapters. These are dense chapters. They're thick. There's all this sorts of stuff about Israel's history. And, and it can feel like this has nothing to do with us. So so the author of Hebrews, he was writing to an audience that was primarily Jewish audience. They had been followers of Judaism. Many of them, maybe most of them, had already heard the gospel. They had turned from Judaism and said, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow God in this way. I'm going to turn away from the law, and I trust Jesus Christ. Many of them had had done that, and, and now they're in a place where they're tempted to turn back to Judaism. And the author is telling them, don't do it. Stay the course with the gospel. And we can hear that and we think, well, what does that really have to do with us? It doesn't really have anything to do with me. I'm not tempted to go back to Judaism. I never was part of Judaism. Well, here's, here's the thing. Here's what we've got to understand this morning. The audience to this book, they're in a dark moment in their lives and their faith. You ever been in a dark moment in your life and in your faith? And while they have chosen to follow God, chosen to follow Jesus Christ at this time, right now it doesn't look so much like their faith is paying off. Right now it's a little cloudy, it's a little unclear. The fruit of the gospel, the joy of the gospel, which was so evident when they first heard it, they're not feeling it right now. In fact, they're, they're coming up against persecution, possible imprisonment, a culture that hates what they believe and hates who they're worshiping, how they're worshiping. And they're experiencing all this pushback and they're looking at everybody else around them who's going a different way and saying, man, it looks like they have it so easy. Maybe this isn't worth it. And so they're in this dark moment and they're tempted, they're, they're tempted to stray from the gospel. And so the, the warning last week to us from the author of Hebrews was don't drift away. Don't turn away. And he's saying, listen, it's worth it. May not feel like it right now. May not look like it right now. You might not be able to see it right now. But trust me, it's worth it. And now his warning for us this week is another warning for us in our dark moments. Because in our dark moments, we we might not just be tempted to stray from the truth. We, We might be tempted to doubt the truth. Did God really say... Gosh, it's hard to see right now. I don't know. It's hard to see if he's really honest with me. And and honestly, I don't know if I believe it all right in this moment. And the author of Hebrews comes to them and says, listen, God said it. Believe it. Believe it even when you can't see it. Anybody need that warning this morning? I do. (laughs) Anybody need that encouragement for their dark moment? This morning, I do. So, so we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into these <laughs> thick, difficult chapters, but we're going to lean in and push hard and push through it together. So let me, let me pray for us. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth, which speaks to us right in the midst of our need, right where we're at, God. You are speaking 
And Lord, we readily confess that we are prone to wander. And we thank you that by your spirit and in your strength, you draw us back to yourself. And as prone as we are to wander, we confess, Lord, we are prone to doubt. Even though you said it, we are prone to doubt it, Lord, because there are tough moments in our lives. There are hard moments in our lives. There are dark moments in our lives. And even if this is not one of them, Lord, we lift this to you. We lift our frailty to you. We lift our brokenness to you. We thank you that you are a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. For you were tempted to doubt just like we are. And yet you have a word for us this morning that we do not need to doubt because you are here. You are good. And what you said is true. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your truth. In your holy and precious name, amen. So we are going to go to Hebrews. We're going to be starting in chapter 3, verse 7, and going all the way through chapter 4. So this is a hefty chunk of scripture I'm going to be reading to you. I just want to give you a, a brief glimpse of what the author is talking about so at least we don't all get completely lost. We need to agree this morning that there is so much in here I'm not going to be able to unpack. There's so much in here we're going to have to let go of our need to understand absolutely everything you hear in this moment. But let me just give you a picture of where he's going. He's going to start out this passage and he's going to point back to something in the history of Israel. He's going to quote Psalm 95 at the very beginning of what I'm about to read in 3.7. He's quoting Psalm 95. So David, a thousand years before the author of Hebrews is writing, David wrote Psalm 95. But David, when he wrote Psalm 95, he was actually writing about the children of Israel 400 years before that. And he was writing about the children of Israel. You know, they were pulled out of, they were in slavery in Egypt. God restored them and freed them from that slavery. And he led them towards the promised land. He said, I have goodness for you. I have a good land for you. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. And they said, okay, we're in. And they follow him to this land. And they follow him to the very edge of the land. And he said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they said, okay, we send some spies out. Let's go explore this land flowing with milk and honey. And they find it's a land of milk and honey and big fruit and big, big people. It's also a land of giants. And they said, we want the milk and honey, but the giants, not so much. So, so you know what? We're not going to go in. And God says, trust me, go in. I am with you. And they say, no. And God says, okay, you're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And this entire generation is going to die out. And then I'm going to bring your children <laughs> into the land that I promised. And the author of Hebrews is going to point back there and say, don't doubt like they did. So that's, that's the main thrust of where he's going this morning. So in, starting in Hebrews 3, verse 7, it says this. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily for as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Now who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was God angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter. Why? Because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest 
still stands. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Now, we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work was finished since the creation of the world. Now he's pointing back to creation. We're going to talk about this a little later. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from his work. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest. And those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today. Not just today when David was writing that psalm. Not just today when the author of Hebrews is writing this. God says today. Today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as it was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest when they entered the promised land, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience for the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must Give account, which sounds pretty ominous, doesn't it? (laughs) It should, and that's why I'm so grateful I'm stopping at the chapter break, and the chapter hasn't broken yet. So, even though everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. And so, this was a hefty chunk of scripture. You might not have followed it all, that's okay, I didn't follow it all. Much of it, when I read it first, I still don't get it all. That's, that's the beauty of Scripture. There is always more that God has for us as we go back. So we're not going to plumb the full depths of this Scripture, but we are going to go in a little bit to see what God might be saying for us today. And I want to start here. Right in the middle of this passage that I read was Hebrews 4, verse 1. It said, Let, "...therefore, since the promise of entering his rest..." still stands today, right? You heard that again and again. Today, 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 the author is saying, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And if you look at other translations besides the NIV that I was reading from, a lot of them say, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And you might be thinking, you said this was going to be a word for my dark spaces, And now you're saying, let us fear. That's not very helpful, is it? That's not what I want to hear in my dark places. That's not what I want to hear in my uncertainty. I thought we weren't supposed to fear. That's right. God does not want a fearful people. We can look at his word all over the place, and it says that perfect love, who's perfect love? God. Jesus Christ is perfect love. Perfect love casts out fear. And it's been said before, and I haven't counted, but it's been said, the Bible says, do not fear 365 times. I didn't count it up, but we'll trust that. I need that pretty much every day. So the Bible says, do not fear. And in our dark places, 
in our places of chaos and confusion, we need to know that that is true. We aren't supposed to fear. In fact, you you go just a little bit earlier in Hebrews, back to chapter 2, verse 17, and it says this, For this reason he, that's Jesus Christ, for this reason he was made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. That actually wasn't the verse I intended to read. I I intended to read 14. Here we go. (laughs) Since we have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity, shared in our humanity. Why? So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. So Jesus came. He took on humanity. Why? So that he might die to free us from fear of death. You see, we were bound up. We were slaves. Slaves to sin. As surely as the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians, we were slaves to sin. And God did not leave us in that state. In in that state of sin, death was inevitable, right? Death was coming. It was going to happen. In fact, physical death is still inevitable, right? All of us in this room are going to die someday. All of us are going to die. It's inevitable. But before we can say hallelujah, (laughs) because Christ came, before Christ came, you know what? It was not just inevitable. It was final. Death marked a separation, a final separation between God And us, because if left to ourselves, we were broken, we had rebelled, we had walked away from him and embraced, embraced rejection of our God. And when you reject life, all that's left is what? Death. And so we were held slavery by fear of death. But then Christ. Christ came and took on flesh, and it says he passed right through death. Right through death. That he might destroy him who holds the power of death. So Christ passes through death and doesn't stay dead. He rises again and destroys the power of death. We sang it earlier, the lamb has conquered Death. Do you know what that means? Do you know that that means death is no longer final? That means if I am in Jesus Christ, I can confess with my mouth that he is Lord. I can believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that he conquered death. And if that's true, then death is no longer final. But in fact, there's a new thing that's inevitable in my life, right? Before, death was the one thing that we could be sure of. We're all going to die. Do you know what? If I am in Jesus Christ, there's a new thing I can be sure of, that I will rise again. That just as he has overcome death and risen again, if I am in him, resurrection becomes my new inevitability. So what, what can man do to me? What do we have to fear in this world? If that's true, what do we have to fear? Nothing. We have nothing to fear. So why does it tell us to be afraid? Why does it, Hebrews say, let us fear, let us be careful, let us fear, lest any of us should seem to fall short of it. Here's, here's the kind of fear I think it's talking about. It's talking about FOMO. FOMO. Anybody know what FOMO is? FOMO is an acronym, fear of missing out. FOMO. Fear of missing out. Oxford English Dictionary defines FOMO as this. And I would say we usually talk about FOMO as unhealthy. This is what Oxford English Dictionary is talking about when it says FOMO, an anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may be happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on social media website. (laughs) So when you're scrolling Facebook and you see how awesome everybody else's marriage is and how great their kids are and how great their life is and all the money they're counting... And that fear wells up inside you, that anxiety, that's fear of missing out. There's something happening over there that's not I'm not part of. But but you know, if you're not, this isn't limited to social media. This was around long before then, right? So you're scrolling through the web. You know what? Do you ever notice this the uh, websites, the search websites don't have a bottom anymore? 
You can scroll to what you think is the bottom. And you watch that little thing on the right and it goes all the way to the bottom. Oh, I'm done. That's all the news stories there are. Oh, and then it pops up and there's more. And then it automatically pops up. And that, that is now bottomless because they know we're going to keep scrolling because they know there's other stuff going on that we don't know. And I might miss out if I don't keep scrolling. So I keep scrolling. It's why long before the internet, we would keep flipping through stations, right? Even though you found three possibly good shows, you kept flipping channels just in case you might be missing out on something else. See, this is unhealthy FOMO. You know why it's unhealthy? Because none of those things are going to fill us. None of those things are going to satisfy us. We're going to keep going there and going there and going there, and nothing is going to meet us. But let me tell you this morning, I think there's a healthy kind of FOMO. There's a healthy fear of missing out. And that's what the author of Hebrews is talking about. He's saying this. This is how I'm going to define a healthy fear of missing out. A cautious examination of our hearts and lives to ensure that we are fully trusting today in God's finished work and faithful ways. That's a healthy fear of missing out. Do you know that God has more for us than we want for ourselves? Do you know that Jesus came and he said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I don't know about you, but there are some days when I look and I don't have life to the full. I have Jesus, but it sure doesn't feel like I have life to the full. God has more for us. And so it's appropriate for us to have a little bit of healthy FOMO, a cautious examination of our hearts and lives to ensure we are fully trusting today. In what? In God's finished work and faithful ways. So that's what we're going to be talking about the rest of the morning and how he lays that out here this morning. So we go to what would we be missing out on? What are the things that if we are not careful, if we do not do a careful examination, what are we missing out on? And the first thing we need to be careful not to miss out on is his word. So listen to this verse from the very beginning of what I read this morning. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, stop. You ever read the Bible and you read about Moses and Abraham and Noah and all these people who heard God's voice? Don't you wish you could? Don't you wish you could hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? I mean, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And don't you wish that you could hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? Can I tell you, you just did. Do you want to hear it again? Okay, here, get ready. You're going to hear it again. So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. See, we... We read this word and it's black words on a white page and we, we forget sometimes that God is speaking to us. As sure he was, as he was speaking to the nation of Israel, as sure as he was speaking to David when he wrote the psalm, as sure of the, as, the, as he was speaking through the author of Hebrews, he is speaking to us right now through his word. And the if, if you hear his voice, it's not if he's speaking, oh, he's speaking. It's, are you listening? (laughs) See, we got to be careful that we don't go to this word sometimes. And gosh, it's hard to understand. Chapters like this are hard to understand, and it's just easier to skip on through. But listen, stop, lean in. God is speaking. Are we listening? It says this, Hebrews 4.12, we read that a little later. Very famous verse that a lot of us are familiar with. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged swords. And we've experienced that, right? We've experienced verses that cut us to the core or verses that speak to immediately where we are. That, that's proof. That's God fulfilling the promise that his word is active. His word is living. His word is speaking to us right now. And we read that and we say, yes, that's true when I read Psalm 23. Yes, that's true when I read John 3.16. Yes, that's true when I read my favorite verse. Do you know that's true when we hit a tough passage like this? When I don't know what the heck is going on. There's all this stuff about Israel and people not leaving Judaism. I don't know. But listen, God's word is living and active. Are we listening? So 
So we need to be careful not to miss his word. You know what else we need to be careful not to miss is his heart. So this is a, these are the very next past verses we read. Do not harden your hearts. If you hear his voice, right? Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said to them, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. What's the author saying here? He's saying they, they saw something of me, but they missed something of me too. Do you know what they saw of God? They saw his works. Again and again and again. And we don't have time to go through all of it. But you can look through Exodus, and I challenge you to read it, and you see God. You know what you see God doing? You see God showing up for and loving his people. By what? By doing what he always does. By providing for them, protecting them, guiding them, correcting them. And so they're slaves in Egypt, right? And he pulls them out of Egypt. God protects them. And you know what? He doesn't have them he, through miracles and signs and wonders. God provides a way out for his people. And do you know what he does beyond that? They don't just leave Egypt as empty-handed slaves, as empty-handed former slaves. You know what he does? The Egyptians say to them, don't just get out of here. But before you get out of here, here, let, let's give you all our stuff too. Like, what a miracle is that? God provides for his people. Their, their owners gave the slaves their riches so they would not walk out empty-handed. And God does it again and again and again. He provides for them when they're thirsty in the desert. Now, we read that they get thirsty and they start panicking and we think, gosh, aren't they, aren't they a little over the top? Like, give God a little time, right? But listen, we, what we got to remember is this is a million people. This is somewhere around a million people walking through the desert. Can I tell you the panic that ensues when my family of five goes on a hike and we all forgot our water bottles? There's a little bit of panic. Can you imagine if you had a million people walking through the desert and they don't find water for three days? Okay, there's a little bit of reason to fear, except God is with them. And who's God? He's a provider and God provides. And out of the dry bone desert, he calls a river forth to, to quench the thirst of a million people. And when they're hungry, he sends quail for a million people and bread down from heaven for a million people. He provides for his people. He protects them, not just on their way out of Egypt when the Egyptians chase them to the Red Sea. Their backs are up against the wall. He parts the waters so they can walk through on dry land. When they come up against enemies, he wins the battles for them because he is a protector. He protects his people. He guides his people with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. They never have to wonder where to stay or where to go because he is guiding them nonstop. And they go to Mount Sinai and he gives the law to guide them. This is how to respond to my goodness and righteousness. He's guiding them through their entire lives because this is who he is and this is what he does. And he corrects them when they still don't get it. And guess what? They still don't get it. After all this, after all the works they see, they see his works. But what does Hebrews say? And they have not known my ways. See, they saw God's works, but they missed his ways. They missed his heart. They missed why he was doing all this. Look at what it says. Exodus chapter 17. This is after the Red Sea. This is after God has shown miracles and providence for them, and he's protected them. And they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us? or not. Listen, I know you're thirsty, but why would you even ask that? He parted the sea for you. Why would you even wonder that? Because they're in a moment of darkness, and they're in a moment of doubt, and they question his goodness, because they saw his works, but they haven't known his ways. This is what the Lord says when they refuse to enter the land. They refuse to enter the promised land. The Lord said to Moses, how long will this people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? They don't trust my heart. How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? See, what we need to be careful of this morning is the same can happen to us. Do you know we can see God's works and miss his ways. We can hear what he said, 
but miss his heart and who he is. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Jesus said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Listen, they loved the scriptures and they missed the Savior. We need to be careful that the same thing doesn't happen to us. It's a beautiful thing to come on a Sunday morning and experience church, isn't it? And, it, and you know, there are so many believers in this region gathering at this church and other churches around. And we need, to, we need to enjoy the blessing of community God has given us. And we need to be careful because we can show up to church week after week after week after week and miss the gospel. Not because it's not being said, but because we're refusing to hear. See, it's possible to know the scriptures and miss the Savior. It's possible to love the Bible and miss its message. It's possible for us to experience God's work and goodness in our lives and miss his heart. So we need to be careful. Because if we miss his heart, we're going to miss the fact that We can trust him through the dark times. We can trust him through these moments. And if we miss that, we miss his rest. That's what he said. That's what he ended that passage saying. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. And geez, doesn't this sound cruel? I mean, is God just being mean here? I mean, it sounds like they just messed up, right? So they broke one of his rules and now God's kicking them to the side. That's it, guys. Party's over. I know that I said there was going to be a party. You guys have misbehaved, and I am canceling the party. It's done. Doesn't it feel like that a little bit to us as we read this? That's not what's happening here. Um, So this wasn't my example originally, but I'm going to adapt it to my family. Uh, I have an adventurous daughter. (laughs) Our firstborn, she is so adventurous. She loves... Dive anything that looks dangerous, like she loves giving a shot. She loves climbing trees. She loves climbing trees. And say one day she wanted to climb a tree, and I let her climb trees. I'm not one of those like hovering helicopter parents, right? That's what they call it. I, I, I don't helicopter. I let her climb trees. She's 10 years old. She can climb a tree. But what if there was this one tree? Man, and I can see it, its branches are perfect for climbing, except it's dying. And it doesn't look safe. And I say, honey, don't climb that tree. And she climbs it anyway. When I walk away, when I, she climbs it anyway. And she falls and she breaks her legs. She's okay. But she broke her legs. So we got to pick her up and we dust her off and calm her, calm her crying and get her to the hospital and get the cast on and everything. And I sit down with her and I have a conversation. Conversation which maybe I'm a little angry. Because <laughs> honestly, you weren't listening to me. I had a good plan for you. You could climb other trees. And... and I say to her, listen, you're not going to be able to climb trees. You're not going to be able to roller skate. You're not going to be able to run. You're not going to be able to do cartwheels. You're not going to be able to play soccer for eight to ten weeks. Am I being cruel? Am I being mean to her? No, I'm actually caring for her. I'm saying, listen, if you try this, you're going to hurt yourself worse. That's what God's saying here. He says, listen, I have a good land for you. I have a land ahead of you that's full of milk and honey and giants. And I want you to enter it. But if you cannot enter with trust, you're just going to hurt yourself a whole lot worse. Because the only way into my rest is trust. Do you know that God is inviting you to a place of rest today? A place of trusting him Today, listen, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have never, maybe you're wondering, you're wondering who this guy is, like somebody dragged you here, even on a morning, even on daylight savings, that was a little cruel, they could have taken you to the 11, right? And and you've never said yes to him. Do you know that God is inviting you to rest today in Jesus Christ? And it is so simple. Maybe not easy because surrender is never easy, but it's so simple. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
That's what it says. Guaranteed. If you place your hope and your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you shall be saved. And Christ died and rose again so that eternal life, your eternal life, would be inevitable. You can rest in that today. If you hear his voice, he's speaking. If you hear his voice, he's speaking. Are you listening? He's inviting you to this today. But then for, for those of us who maybe said that, that prayer years ago, you said, I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm in the family. That's, that's right. Do you know God is still inviting you to rest in trusting him today? See, see, we think we, we put our trust in Christ yesterday, right? Sometime in the past, we put it in yesterday. And you know what that guarantees me? That gives me, uh, guarantees me an eternal life with him somewhere down the road. So we put our trust in Christ yesterday for a rest in him tomorrow. And we miss the fact that God, trust in God is for today. And rest in him is for today. See, he wants to lead us through those dark moments. Those dark moments that, that doubt threatens us. Those dark moments where we're, it's filled with uncertainty. And there's chaos in our hearts and our minds. And we're wondering what's going on here and we can't see clearly. He wants to lead us through that. Will we trust him today? So how do we not miss out? You say, I get it, I get it, right? We got to be careful not to miss out. We can, we can miss out on his word. If I'm not sitting out paying attention, leaning in, I can miss that God is speaking. I get it. If I, if I, I can see his works and I can miss his ways, I don't, don't want to do that. And I can, I can miss his rest if I'm not trusting him for today. And so, so, yeah, how? How do we do that? And this is what the author of Hebrews says. The author of Hebrews says, Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. I love it. Sometimes it's helpful to look at a different translation of a verse, right? And so this is from a translation called the Passion Translation. It says, So then we must give our all and be eager to experience this faith rest life. Right here, right now, today, are we eager to experience this faith rest life so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief? So how do we not miss out? So uh, there's something that goes on for our bodies every day that we should be missing out, but we don't. In fact, it goes on a whole lot more than once a day. It goes on every few seconds. Do you know you're blinking every few seconds? Your eyes are shutting fully every few Seconds. Think about this. We blink an average of 10 to 25 times per minute. If you do the math on average, that's about 1,200 times an hour we're blinking. That's around 19,000 times per day that we're blinking. In fact, scientists have estimated that about 8 to 10% of our waking life will be spent with our eyes closed. There's somebody in here right now who's spending a little bit of that 18 to 10%. I'm not going to call you out. But think about this. 8 to 10% of our life is, our waking life is spent with our eyes closed. How come we don't miss out? We should be spending a whole lot of waking time in darkness because we blink that often, but we don't miss out. Do you know why we don't miss out? We don't miss out because of what our brain does when we blink. It's amazing. They've done these studies, and I don't have time to go into all of it, but they've done these studies. You know what our brain does when we blink? It takes a snapshot of that image right before we blink. And it compares it to the image it sees right after we blink, and it fills in the gap. Like it's got two dots, and in, in, in the middle of those dots is blankness, and our brain fills in the gap so that we don't end up being bothered by a blink. We don't end up spending that moment in darkness. Our brain interprets that image and it fills in the gaps. That's why we don't miss out. 
And I read that and I thought, that's really cool. Our brain fills in the gap. It connects the dots. But here's the thing. Wouldn't it have been simpler for us to just not have to blink? I mean, like, that's great that it fills in the blink. That great's, great's that it fills in the darkness. Wouldn't it be simpler if we just didn't have to blink? Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried holding your eyes open? I don't want to blink. I don't want to blink. You actually see worse, right? <laughs> because your eyes start drying out and they need the cleaning and all that stuff. And I get it. They, we need cleaning. We need moisture and all that stuff for our eyes. That's part of why we blink. Do you know what else the brain does when we blink, Phil? When we blink, every time we blink, our eyes roll back a little bit in our head. And then they return to where they are. It's incredible. All this happens instantaneously. Our eyes do that. And you know what our brain does? Our, our brain takes that image from before we blink. And it compares it to that image after we blink because our eyes come back and our eyes are lazy. Do you know that? Our eyes are lazy. They don't always return and look right where we were looking at before the blink. And so our brain kicks into gear and says, hey, activate those muscles. All right, focus in on this. Focus in on this. And scientists have found that doesn't, that little instantaneous refocus, it actually helps us focus. That's part of why we blink. Listen. Closing our eyes actually helps us see. Actually helps us see better. Listen, the moment of darkness helps us focus better on what's really important. So, so wouldn't it be great if our spirits could do what our brains did, right? <laughs> In our moments of darkness, right? So how do we not miss out? Well, we don't miss out. How do we strive for rest? So that we don't miss out. How do we strive for rest? Here's the first thing. Give up our desire for clarity. Give up our desire for clarity. Guys, this is hard because we want to see everything. We want to see everything about our lives from beginning to end. We want to see it all. We want to know how this is going to work out. We want the guarantee. We want to see what God's doing in this moment right now. We want to see why this is happening. We want to see how it's going to play out. We want to see everything. And that's why those moments of darkness are so scary. Because we get to that moment of darkness and we say, why? What's going on? And it's like we're trying to hold our eyes open. And it's like we're trying to skip the blank. <laughs> And, and we need to, physically, we just need to give that up. We just need to say, like, you know what? My body's got to blink. I got to blink. Spiritually, we need to just give up our desire for clarity. So this is what Israel needed. Israel wanted clarity. All the way through, they wanted clarity. They got to the edge of that promised land, and they said, yes, milk. Yes, honey. Giants, no. Like, they wanted the land of milk and honey without the giants. God says, that's not why, the way I'm working right now. You could have the land of milk and honey without the giants. You would get that without trusting me. You would get that without trusting me. See, they wanted to walk through on their own power without the giants so that they could take over the land. See, maybe some of us need to understand this in our own Lives. We fight those moments of darkness and we say, God, what are you doing in those moments of darkness, those moments of uncertainty in my life, those moments where I can't see the victory, I can't see clearly through here? Do you ever think God might be using that moment to refocus us on what's really important, to refocus us on him? So there was a man named John Cavanaugh. He was a professor and he was trying to figure out what to do with the rest of his life. He had lived and worked and served a certain season of his life, and now he knew he was being called to something different. He didn't know what. He needed clarity. He wanted to know, God, what should I do with the rest of my life? And so he, he took some time. He took three months, and he went over to India and worked in Calcutta, India, to try to seek this clarity for his life. And the first morning there, he meets Mother Teresa. And she says, what can I do for you? And he says, you can pray for me. She says, okay, how can I pray for you? And he says, pray for clarity. She says, nope, I'm not going to do that. He said, why? why? Why won't you pray for clarity? And she says this. She says, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to that you need to let go of. Which sounds really profound, right? But it, 
not very helpful in the moment. <laughs> so John, probably like a lot of us, turned to her and said, well, you look like you've had a lot of clarity in your life. You seem like you've always known what to do. And you know what? She laughed. She said, I've never had clarity. What I've had is trust. So I'm going to pray that you trust God. See, folks, so often we want to walk by sight and not by faith. And that's not the life we're called to. A life following Jesus Christ, a life in relationship with the living God is a walk by faith and not by sight. So can we give up our desire for clarity this morning? Here's the next thing we got to do. We need to choose gratitude. Amen. Choose gratitude. See, just like our brains connect the dots when we blink, we have that moment of darkness. We see something before the blink. We see something after the blink. We need something to connect there. In our moments of darkness of the soul, we need something to connect us when we can't see God's hand. When we can't see what's up, what's going on, why it's happening, where God is at in this moment. In fact, he feels very far away. We need something to connect the dots for us. And you know what it is? It's gratitude. Gratitude. Israel needed this. And, and you know what? They had it at certain points. They walked out of the Red Sea and they saw God destroy the Egyptians and save them through the Red Sea. And if you go back to it, it's Exodus 15. If you go back, they sing this tremendous hymn of praise and gratitude to their God. This incredible song, this is a little bit of it. It says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Can you hear the gratitude? God has come through for us. How good he is. And I got to share my favorite part of the song because they go on to describe what God does when the Red Sea parts. If I were going to sing a psalm of praise to God about parting the Red Sea, if that had been me, I would have said he took his strong right arm. And his strong left arm and the Lord with muscles rippling spread the mighty waters of the sea and held them back with his great strength. And you know that's not what they say. Here's, here's what they say. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. So they're saying, I, I think what they're saying, what I'm hearing is, God said, guys, you got to go. That was it. That's all it took for God to part the sea. And they sing a song of praise. I would sing a song of praise for that too. Do you know, if God can do that when he sneezes, can you imagine what he does when he, when he could do when he really flexes his muscles for us? Like that's what Israel needed when they walked through the desert and they were thirsty. And they didn't, they have water for three days. And they said, this is a dark moment. I don't know what's happening. You know what? It'd be okay in that moment. It's okay to say like, God, I don't see you right now. I don't feel your presence right now. I don't know how you're going to carry us through this, God. But don't you just wish that one of those million people would have said, hey guys, do you remember? I don't know what God's doing, but he did. And if he did that, he's going to get us through this. But do you know what happens after the Red Sea? The song stops and they move on. And I searched Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and go search it for yourself. I might have missed something, but I searched 40 years of Israel history and I can't find another song for 40 years. I can't find one lick of gratitude. Not even so much as a thank you. Like, they're all hungry and God rains down bread from heaven. And they go out in the morning and they say, what is that? Anybody who has ever fixed dinner for a little kid has experienced this, right? You are slaving away at a luscious meal which will fill their bellies and nourish their bodies. And they get to the table while it's steaming hot, and they say, what is that? 
And you just want to say, just say thank you. We call them thank you bites in our house. You at least have to have a thank you bite. Somebody went to the time, they made this for you, you're provided for, say thank you, have a bite. Israel couldn't even do that. What is this? They couldn't even say thank you. It's no wonder they had so many dark moments for 40 years that were hard to get through. That way they were just lived in this fear because they were, is God still with us? If you just say thank you, if you just point back to his goodness before, you'll begin to trust that he's going to carry you through this again. This is what we need in our moments of darkness. We need to look to him and say, God, you have been faithful. I know you will be again. And here's the last thing we need to do. We need to strive for rest by drawing near to God. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Notice that it doesn't say we should approach God's throne of grace in our time of need. It doesn't say that. It says, approach God's throne of grace. When? When does it mean? Today. Now. Approach his throne of grace now. Oh, so that in our time of need, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Are we drawing near to God every moment, even when we don't need him? (laughs) Even when we don't think we do. We need him every moment. (laughs) Are we drawing near to him? every moment. See, this is the plan God had in the beginning. The author of Hebrews, he rolls out this idea of rest, and he points back to the promised land. And you know what he points back? He's saying to them, the promised land was never the rest. The the Israelites had it mixed up. It was never about the land. Do you know what it was about? It was about relationship with your God. It was about drawing near to him and trusting his heart for you. That's what this has always been about. That's why he goes back and he points to creation. Look at this. And yet his works, this is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, that we read earlier. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken. I think, the, I think he might be being sarcastic here, right? He says this in the very first chapter of Scripture. Like, we all know that where this is. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, and on the seventh day God rested from all his work. I heard an atheist talk about that. God, God works creation for six days, and then he stops and he rested. And the atheist said, I would never believe in a God who had to stop working after just six days. well that's not the point (laughs) see the atheist read the words and missed the heart (laughs) God didn't stop working because he was tired you know that God didn't stop working at creation because he needed a water break God didn't stop working at creation because he was done working out a little bit and he just needed a a breather before the next Before he went at it again. No, God stopped because he was done. He was finished. When he thought of creation and he began it, everything that he had in mind for creation was complete. And so he rested. The work was done. And now you know what that rest looked like for him? That rest. Now he just got to sit back and say, that is very, very good. And now as he gazed at creation, he got to see creation gazing back at him and depending on him. And there was an unhindered relationship, unhindered relationship with the creation. And that's why he could rest. That's the rest that God has always had in mind, unhindered relationship with his creation. Unhindered relationship 
with us. And that's why it says here, now we who have believed entered, have entered that rest. That's all it takes. I mean, I know we just talked through three things to do to strive to enter that rest, but it's really not about our striving. All we need to do to enter that rest is believe, is trust, is trust in his work. It says, we who have believed enter that rest. You know what it says about those who have entered the rest? That's us. That's us who believe. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Today, there's a Sabbath rest. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Do you know God invites you to rest that the work is done today? The work is done. Just like when he created this universe and everything he had in mind, unhindered relationship with his creation, was finished so he could stop. But then we blew it, right? Then we messed it up. Then we walked away from him. And there was a work that needed done for us to get back into rest with him. There was a work that needed done because we sinned against God and our sin had a punishment. Our sin needed paid for. And that was a work we could not do. But it says that that work has been done. I want to go back to the very first verse of Hebrews. The very first few verses, he says, God's been speaking. Most recently through his son. He says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification from sins. Those sins, those things that we rebelled against God with, we were dirty. We are a mess. We could not draw near to him. We couldn't enter his presence. There was no way for us back. And so that's why Christ took on flesh and came down and paid the price. And God said to Israel, in my wrath, I said they shall never enter my rest. Do you know what Jesus did when he went to the cross? He took on the full wrath of God upon himself. The full wrath against our sin was laid on him. And the work of our salvation was done on that cross. And he provided purification for sins. But do you know what happened after that? After he provided purification for sins, he sat down. Why does it tell us that? I'm like, do we, do we really need to know Jesus' physical posture? <laughs> after he did, we just need to know he paid for our sins, right? That's what we need to trust. No, this is really important. He sat down. See, there was a work for our salvation that needed to be done. And when Jesus walked off that cross, when he rose up from the grave, when he purified our sins, he sat down. And he didn't sit down because he was tired. He didn't sit down because he needed a breather. He didn't sit down because he needed a water break before the next rep. He sat down because he was done. It is finished for you today. Do you know that? Do you trust him for that today? The work is done. I'm going to invite the worship team back out. And as I do this, I want to offer an invitation. There are going to be myself and some other folks up front who would love to pray for you this morning. And I want to offer you the chance to respond to God's invitation of rest to us this morning. So if you are not walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ, God appointed a day for your salvation. It is today. It's today. God is speaking. Are you listening? 
If you will hear his voice, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. And so if that's you this morning, I want to invite you forward in this time. And there are folks up here who would love to pray with you. As you walk in to God's full eternal rest. And for some of us, we've been walking in fear so much lately. You're going through a dark place in your life right now and it's confusing and chaotic and honestly you maybe feel like God isn't very present right now. You can't see what he's doing. You need to hear this morning, he invites you to rest fully in trusting him. He who finished the work of our salvation, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not freely take us through even this dark moment? So if you need prayer for anything in your life at this time, there are folks up here who would love to pray with you. I hope they're coming. Maybe it's just me. That's okay. I'll pray for all of you. And finally, for the rest of us, maybe you're in a place, you're just going to stay in your seat. So we're going to walk into a time of worship here. We're going to walk into a time of answering his invitation just by worshiping our God. And you know, we sing this song. We're going to sing Revelation song again. We sing this song and we think it's called Revelation song, right? That means it's down the road. We think of that day, one day when nations shall be gathered and all uh, people of all tribes and tongues shall be gathered around the throne of God singing this song. He is worthy. But as we sing this together today, I want you to sing it like this. He invites us to his throne today. Right now we are gathered around the throne of grace by the blood of Jesus Christ. 